Well, happy Easter to you all a week on. I hope you've had a great time celebrating this season, eating lots of chocolate and roast lamb and Simnel cake and Easter bunnies and hot cross buns and all the things that we use to celebrate this time. But I hope at the heart of it, you've put Jesus Christ and his victory as the centre of Easter. You know, just like a big Easter egg comes in a nice big box and then the egg's very small and then when you open it, it's hollow. Without Jesus at the centre, Easter can be a disappointment. But the truth is, the only thing that's empty when you look at the real Easter message is the empty tomb. Jesus has risen and he fills our lives with hope this Easter. And I want to bring a message that focuses on that in a world that needs so much hope where the news headlines have been bleak. Here is the the, the headline of this message. The newsworthy headline of Easter is this, because Jesus is risen, life is not a hopeless end, but an endless hope. Well, I want to unpack that, building on the message Dave brought on Easter Sunday by looking at some verses in 1 Corinthians 15. It's the most extended discussion of the resurrection of Jesus and what it means for us. Dave last week particularly unpacked and highlighted some of the historic evidence for the resurrection. It's really hard actually when you see the evidence to come to any other conclusion than that Jesus historically rose from death. But I want to move on from the historical evidence to look at the eternal relevance. (laughs) What's the relevance of the message of Easter to our lives, not just now, but for eternity? Well, the two things I want to bring, two simple points. And the first is simply this, because Christ is risen, death is beaten. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul unpacks the resurrection of Jesus and he reminds us of the rather bleak fact that in Adam, the the, the original human, in Adam, Paul says in verse 19, in Adam, all die. (laughs) In other words, he highlights the biggest problem that our human race faces, that we are, if you like, in a fallen world in Adam and in that world, we all die. There are no exceptions. It's being called the ultimate statistic. One in one people will die. And of course, normally that statistic is relatively hidden. We deal with it largely in our culture through avoidance tactics. You know, ostriches, head in the sand. We just, you know, eat lots of health foods, go to the gym and sing along with Robbie Williams. I hope I'm old before I die. But this COVID-19 season has forced the statistic back into our news screens and into our lives. It's helped us face actually the, the true reality that we are in Adam and naturally we are dying. So what is the hope? that we have in the face of this. Well, isn't that why the resurrection of Jesus suddenly becomes so incredibly relevant, such really good news? (laughs) Because, well, if you hear that, someone, a real human called Jesus of Nazareth, the claim is he broke through death and came out the other side. Given our problem, isn't that something of a solution potentially, right? I mean, sometimes we have people knock on the door or push leaflets through the door offering their trades. You have this, you know, I'll cut your hedge for you or I'll fix your roof for you or I'll get rid of your rodents for you. And if you don't have a problem, that doesn't seem like really good news. But, you know, if you hear a sort of scratching in the loft or you see some droppings on the floor, suddenly you realise that that little leaflet that you ignored that said 100% success rate of getting rid of rodents, suddenly that's really good news. Where is that leaflet? You're looking to find the person who can deal with the problem. If we human beings are dying, the resurrection of Jesus is really good news. Because the claim is that on that Easter morning, 
Jesus Christ, a real human, broke the power of death and rose again. And the claim is not that he was some kind of ghost or a vision or a dream, but that he was materially, physically alive again. The same Jesus who had died, now metamorphosed in a resurrected state, nevertheless a real human being living on the other side of death. That sounds like a pretty helpful solution to our biggest problem. In fact, when Jesus on one occasion appeared to his disciples, he appeared to them on a beach in a place that they used to meet with him in a, uh, in, by the shores of Lake Galilee. And when he appeared to them on the beach, he did something to prove to them that he wasn't just a ghost, but that he was a real physical human being. I had the privilege just before lockdown, actually, of going to Israel and spending some time at Lake Galley and I filmed a little video on the beach. I couldn't help myself. I thought I've just got to feel the moment when Jesus did something on this very beach, right? I was actually in the spot where of, of Lake Galilee uh, on those very shores where Jesus appeared to his disciples. And I thought I'd like to play this out to you. So just take a look at this and get a feel for what really happened. Well, having died in Jerusalem on a Roman cross and risen from the dead, Jesus appeared here on the shore of Lake Galilee to his disciples. In John 21, we read of the moment when the fishermen, his disciples had gone fishing, the carpenter risen from the dead appeared on the shore. Peter leapt out of the boat and swam in and met the risen Jesus and he prepared a charcoal fire. Fish was cooked, flesh and bones in the risen Jesus. He's not just a ghost or a philosophy. He had breakfast on a beach with his friends in Galilee to prove that he really is the risen son of God who brings life to the world. It started in Galilee and has gone global ever since. Jesus ate fish with his friends on the beach to prove that he is alive today and we can be his friends through faith in the Messiah Jesus who's broken the power of death and brings hope back into the world. He demonstrated it in real terms, eating fish, having breakfast with his friends here on the beach by the Sea of Galilee. Well, I hope that just helped you imagine a little bit of what it must have been like. The real moment, historically, when he appeared to his disciples. This is not a ghost. This is breakfast on a beach with his friends. And it reminds us then that this resurrection of Jesus is more real and more hopeful than we've perhaps dared to imagine. This is the way Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Because Jesus is risen, death is beaten. In Adam we die, but in Christ we can be made alive for eternity. And notice then how this has transformed death. The resurrection of Jesus has transformed death. Paul actually uses a different word for it. He doesn't refer to it as death, but as sleep. When someone who's a Christian dies in Christ, they fall asleep. Now, that's not Paul scared and avoiding using the, the D word. No, no, no. He really believes that something's changed. You know, if you see someone sleeping, what do you imagine them to do? You imagine that one day they will wake. <laughs> They will wake up again. It's temporary. And Paul is saying in the same way, when someone is a Christian, they die. It's not the end. They go to be with Jesus in heaven. But that's almost like 
That's like a state that's temporary. One day their body will rise again and they will live forever. Now, this gives us hope in the face of death. It means that this world, though we are dying, is not hopeless. Life is not a hopeless end, but an endless hope through Jesus Christ. Paul celebrates Jesus' victory. He's beaten death. He celebrates it in quite daring terms right at the end of this passage. He almost, um, he starts to sing in the face of death. It's like he's chanting. Imagine some football supporters on the, uh, uh, in the stadium in the, in the days when that used to happen. And, and imagine that those football supporters are, their team has won. They've scored the winning goal. It's clear that they are the winners and they start singing at the opposition. And Paul does that to death. He says in verse 54, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory and where, O oh, death, is your sting? Death is still in existence, but like a snake that had its venom ripped out, it may still exist, but it cannot ultimately destroy you. Death has been swallowed up in victory and we can sing in the face of its reality. We can live with hope in, in the light of death because Jesus is risen. I remember talking to someone who had been to Kingsgate because of a funeral. They, they, they weren't part of the church, but they'd been for a funeral a couple of years ago. And I remember him saying to me, he wasn't a Christian, he wasn't used to going to church. I remember him saying to, to me, I, I went to a funeral and then he paused and he said, at least I think it was a funeral. <laughs> and then he sort of acknowledged, you know, it was like no funeral he'd ever been to before. He said there was people seemed to be almost celebrating. And I thought, yeah, that's it. That's it. Because Jesus is risen death is beaten. We live and we die. We grieve and we die with a hope that means even in the face of death, we have reason for celebration. Really good news. Because Jesus is risen, death is beaten. And then how does that apply to us? Well, because Jesus is risen, we will be raised with him. This is what Paul goes on to. He establishes the fact that Jesus is risen and he's beaten death. And then he says, did you notice the phrase, but Jesus is only the first fruits. He is, if you like, the moment when the first little fruit appears on the tree. And what that tells you is all the rest of the blossom will one day become fruits as well. What you see here, the one, is soon going to become many. That's the picture. In other words, what has happened to Jesus is revealing our future in Jesus. He is now the model or the paradigm for every human being who puts their faith in him. Because he has been raised, we will be raised with him. That means that when it comes to the afterlife, what lies beyond death, we actually have something to say now. We're not completely in the dark. The truth is Jesus's resurrection gives us a vision of the future that we can in some measure get our heads round and look forward to. Paul uh, elsewhere in this passage notes a sort of almost a short sense of a timetable, a roadmap of what lies ahead. He says in verse 23, each happens in turn. Christ is the first resurrection. Then those who belong to him will be resurrected. That's the roadmap. We talk about roadmaps these days. Uh, the roadmap out of death is this. In history, behind us, Christ has been resurrected at his first appearing. When he first came to this world, he broke the power of death historically. 
Now, at his second coming that lies ahead of us, Paul says, then because he was resurrected at his first coming, when he returns, we will be resurrected with him. Now, of course, we live in the in-between times, between the first coming of Jesus, his resurrection, and the second coming of Jesus, our resurrection. And that's where we live. In this in-between time, Paul wants us to know some things that help us look forwards to our future hope. And Paul, therefore, summarises it. You know, what is this hope? Well, think about what we've said. Think about what Jesus showed on the shores of Lake Galilee. Think about what happened to him and then do the maths is really what Paul's saying. Work it out from him what is going to happen to you. In verse 42 to 44, he summarises it this way. Some really delicate, careful phrases that give us a glimpse of our future. This is how it will be, verse 42 with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Notice that final phrase especially. It's very delicate, carefully worded. We will be raised a spiritual body. The body that I currently have is a natural, fallen, sinful, perishable body. It's got a used by date on it. But I will be raised at the return of Jesus to a new body that is a spiritual body. Notice the balance there then. It is a body. It's physical and material like Jesus. He, remember, he ate fish with his friends. We will have a body that is physical and material. But it's also spiritual. That is at least a link, a clue to say there's something very different about this body that you will have. It's, it's, not, it's not like the one you've currently got. It's a spiritual body. It's going to be animated by the life force of the Holy Spirit in a way that you've never even glimpsed or dreamt of. It's going to be glorified so that your resurrection body will be like Jesus when we see him we will be like him. It's a level of change that, in fact, Paul uses the word elsewhere. He says we will be changed and he uses the word metamorphosis. That is the caterpillar to a butterfly. That's the, that's the level of continuity and discontinuity that we can expect. Continuity, because it is actually the same caterpillar that becomes a butterfly, and yet discontinuity because the caterpillar, well, the, the caterpillar <laughs> it is, well, It's completely transformed in the butterfly. That's why when Jesus is raised from the dead and he appears to his disciples, they can't quite recognise him. It's that discontinuity. It is him. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And yet he is so transformed. His body now operates differently in this old creation because he's now new creation. Did you notice, for example, that when he rose from death, He passed through the grave clothes. They just fell flat, almost like they decompressed as his body passed through them. Then he passed through the the doors that were locked in the upper room in a later appearance. All of this are little clues that he is now so real, so substantial that our clothes and our doors are like smoke or mist compared to how real his body is. He just passes through them. He's more real than we are. That's the idea. It's not that he's ghostly and we're real. We're ghostly compared to how real the resurrection of Jesus will be, uh, has been, and how real our resurrection will be. That's the hope and the promise that we 
that we have. The reason that the stone was rolled away from the tomb was not so that Jesus could get out. (laughs) No, no, he could have passed through that as well. The reason it was rolled away is so that we would know that he did get out. He was raised. The tomb is empty. But the resurrection of Jesus is then giving us a model or a paradigm for us. We will have a spiritual body that is more real, that has stronger desires, that is more animated than we have ever known in our most glorious, alive, healthy, vibrant moments in this world. I look forward to that day, don't you? I don't know what your body's like. I look forward to that. C.S. Lewis gives us a glimpse of it in his book. If you want to read something on this, read 1 Corinthians 15. And then read The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. He imagines someone from our shadowy world going up to, if you like, this new world, this resurrected world. And this person from our world realises that they are the phantom. They're the ghost. They stand on this new grass in a new creation and they realise that the grass is coming up through their feet. (laughs) Their feet are not as real as the grass. They try and lift a a daisy and it says they, they say it feels like diamond. It's so hard. They can't pluck a daisy. And it's C.S. Lewis's beautiful way of capturing the idea that the world that we will go into beyond death is more real than this one. The new creation, more solid, more glorious, more vibrant, more hopeful than we have ever known. This is the really good news of the resurrection because Christ has been raised. We will be raised with him. We will have a body like his. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says in verse 51, uh, the old translation puts it, or Handel's Messiah puts it, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, we will rise with Christ. What he's referring to is that when Christ returns, the trumpet sounds, we will be changed. That's that word, metamorphosis. We caterpillars will become butterflies through the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Now, notice Paul says, behold, I tell you a mystery. There's still lots of mystery, things we don't know about what lies beyond death. Let's not pretend that we we understand it all. We've got questions, right? I mean, will will we eat and sleep and go to the bathroom when we're in the new creation? I I don't know. You know, who knows? I think we'll eat because Jesus did on the beach and I think it'll taste pretty good. But who knows? I mean, will will let, will my dog be in heaven is often what people ask, isn't it? Well, who knows? I mean, I, my personal view is I think dogs may be in the new creation, but perhaps not your specific dog. I, I don't know. Sorry if that disappoints you. Certainly not cats. Anyway, <laughs> I, I joke. Uh, but, but you know, we've, we've got questions. Will, um, will we recognise each other? And I think the answer is yes, but in a kind of, Dave, <laughs> is that you? It can't be. It is. I mean, we will be so transformed, so glorious. We will be like Jesus was to those disciples, almost unrecognisable. And I mean, another question that you may have is, will it be this actual body that is raised? And I think we shouldn't get too prescriptive there. God will take care of that. We recognise, of course, that our skin is being shed and our our cells are, are being replaced all the time. So this body is not the one that I will have in seven years time if I'm still here. That That is a, a process of transformation happening. So it's not that they, these actual molecules matter. The issue is me, not, not the molecules. It's me that will be raised. Andrew Ollerton will be raised in a new body, a spiritual body forever. Look, there is mystery. I'm not pretending we have all the answers, but I am saying we know enough to know this. 
Because Christ is risen, life is not a hopeless end. Life is an endless hope. One day, this fallen, frail body that is prone to sin and sickness and viruses and disease and decay, this body will be no more. And I will have a spiritual body, a a body that is no longer vulnerable or mortal, but raised with Christ eternal. That is our ultimate hope. And that means even if you are in great physical shape right now, if you can't wait to get back in the gym and pump some more iron, I just want to say to you, you're still nothing compared to your future self. You, you, you still couldn't lift a daisy in the new world. So don't get obsessed with your image and body here and now. It's passing away. It's the one to come. It's the spiritual body you want to look forward to. And if, on the other hand, your body is really hurting and frail and weak and you feel nostalgic about the good old days when you had health and strength and you were free from pain, I, I want to say to you, your best days lie ahead of you. If you are in Christ, that spiritual body will make even you in your prime seem so feeble. Your best days lie ahead of you. You are not a shadow of your former self. In Christ, you are a shadow of your future self, who you will be. Your best days lie ahead of you. This is our eternal hope. So with that all in mind, as we bring this into land. I just wanted to reflect on a couple of reasons why this is really good news, not just for eternity, but right here and now. If you put your faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who rose again and defeated death, it's not just that you have an eternal hope, but that hope brings us confidence to live well here and now. I love the way that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a great Christian who stood up to the Nazis and ultimately was killed for his faith in Christ, Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way regarding what the difference this makes. He said the difference between the Christian hope of resurrection and a mythological hope is that the Christian hope sends a person back to his life on earth in a wholly new way. I want to send us back to our life of everyday life now in this coming week in a wholly new way. Firstly, I want to say we can live with peace because Christ is risen. You know, one of the things I've heard people say a lot in this pandemic is I feel like I've lost a year of my life. And I understand that in some in many ways we have. Maybe we've lost a year of our lives. Our plans were disrupted. We were unable to travel in the ways we'd hoped, experience the things we'd hoped. Maybe we even lost loved ones. I understand the sense of loss. But I want to say to you, if you have hope in Jesus Christ, that loss is only temporary. You see, if you think this life is all you've got, then the loss is devastating. But if you know that ultimately you cannot miss out on the glory that lies ahead, the loss is only temporary. Don't get all worked up about what you can't do in this life, because in the life to come, all will be fulfilled. Live with peace and finally live with purpose. Paul finishes this great passage, 1 Corinthians 15, with one of my favourite verses where he lands the significance of it for us now. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Live with peace, right? And give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that your labour in the Lord is never in vain. Paul is saying this. Listen, if Christ is risen, this world is not the Titanic. It's not sinking under. We're not just going to be wiped out by cosmic disaster and that's the end of the human story. No, 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 no. 
No, no, new creation, resurrection. This world is worth fighting for. It's worth living for, even dying for. It's worth serving and investing in because this world has a future. People around us have a future in Christ. So give and serve and share the good news of Jesus and get on mission for the, get, what does Paul say? Your labour in the Lord is never wasted. It's never in vain. No, 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 no. We are not building sandcastles by the seashore only for the tides of time to wipe it away. No, that's if you live, if you live for yourself and if you live for greed and money, that's that's all that will be left of your life. It will all be erased. But no, if you live for Christ, if you serve him in the world, we are building a kingdom that lasts forever through the resurrection of Jesus. So take heart. Don't let your head drop. Don't lose motivation, Paul says. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. It is never in vain. So with all of that in mind, I'd like to pray for us. Because Christ is risen, life is not a hopeless end, but an endless hope. And if you've just begun to feel a bit hopeless, perhaps lost sight of this glorious, eternal, really good news, I want to just pray that that would be restored to you right now. Perhaps just reach out your hands and I will pray fresh hope over us. Lord God, we thank you that you raised Jesus from death to give us hope that nothing can take away, that you've beaten death. I pray for those who live in the fear of death. I pray for those who face the death of the loss of loved ones. Would you bring the light of hope back into our lives through these truths? And I pray for us, Lord, that we would go into this week and this new term now full of confidence that our labour in the Lord is not in vain. Life is worth living because Christ is risen. It's not a hopeless end, but an endless hope. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.